Good morning. Man, great to see you all today. It is summer, and uh, I'm glad you're out worshiping with us. Last week, I put the question out there at Father's Day. And by the way, wasn't Father's Day great uh, for you that are dads, for you that were with us last week? My wife did an amazing job last week. Give her a... I have seen more giraffes this week than I've ever seen in my life, just everywhere around. Uh, Last week, I put this question out there. If you could tell your kids just one thing, what would it be? And that kind of went through my mind this week as I was uh, planning this week's message, going, you know, if I could challenge people with just one thing to make your lives better, what would that be? And the obvious answer is Jesus. All right, I'm not missing that because I believe that's true and I believe he does that. But if there's one thing that you could do to make your life better, what would it be? And it was really pretty easy for me to come up with this answer. Are you ready? Guard your marriage. Guard your marriage. Work on your marriage. Protect your marriage. I believe Satan looks for the weakest link and uh, before he kind of infiltrates and tries to destroy because that's his nature is to kill, steal, and destroy. That's what he does. And what he's done is he's looked at our families and said, if I can destroy the family, I've got them. And so he focuses in on marriages because if he destroys the marriage, what happens? He really destroys the individuals because there's so much hurt and heartache and challenge that comes when a marriage is is broken up. If he destroys marriages, he really destroys the kids. And I know, I know that kids are resilient, and I know they can bounce back, and I know how strong they are. But listen, it affects them for the rest of their lives. You know that, I know that. We can't avoid that, 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 that reality. If he can destroy the marriage, then he can destroy friendships because people tend to pick sides and it destroys friendships and their relationships. And if he can destroy the marriage, then he can destroy our culture, which is basically what's happening today. And it doesn't matter if it's anger, abuse, affairs, stress, overworking. It doesn't matter what the reasons are. There are just so many ways that he destroys us. And that's his goal. So let me ask you this question. Let me say this before I go any further. I know some of you are hurting. I know some of you are in in the middle of divorces or have gone through divorces. And this is in no way to try to belittle you or make you feel less than because that's not what it's about. It's about looking at this and saying, how can we use these, these principles from God to build the relationship you're in now or maybe your future marriage? if that happens for you. And some of you are dealing with the loss of spouses, and I know that's not easy either. And and there's a lot that goes into this. So I'm not taking away any of that from you. I just want to give some encouragement today and some challenge to the marriages that are here or the marriages that will come. So how's your marriage? If you're married, how is your marriage? Scale of one to 10, is it a 10? Don't raise your hand. If it's a 10, raise your hand because I want to see you, okay? Nice. We, we have a couple 10s. Oh, you're just fanning yourself. Sorry, that's not a raising the hand. Okay, we're good. Is it an eight? It's going, yeah, you know, it's, it, it, it's good. I mean, there's nothing wrong. It's, it's, is it a four? 
Is it a one? Challenging, isn't it? How is your marriage? What's the biggest challenge of marriage? Somebody tell me this. The biggest challenge of marriage is, what is it? Time for each other. That's a big one. Communication is another huge one. You know, the old saying is communicate, 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 and then communicate some more, and it's still not enough, right? Because we communicate in different ways and different forms, and people hear and listen and do things depending on what they were listening to that day or how the communication came across to them. Communication is huge. Time is huge. There are so many challenges out there that what I want to do is I want you to think back if you can remember to your wedding. Think back to your wedding. Do you remember the excitement? Do you remember the stress? Some of you are going, yeah, I remember the stress. That's what's been there ever since. Do you remember the romantic ideas that you had in your mind before you said, I do? Think about those. I know some of you met an hour later, you flew to Vegas, and Elvis married you. I got it. That's, that's not what we're talking about here, okay? Maybe you started dating, and you got that I'm so in love kind of feeling, and, and so you go out to eat together, and both of you offer to pay because you don't want anybody to know that you're the cheapskate, and you don't really want to pay, but you offer to pay, trying to impress the other person, and you go places you will never go again if you get married. Just never. It's just the way it works, right? Uh, I mean, and when you're absolutely flat broke, guys, what do you do? You go out and buy a diamond ring. And it can't be a small diamond. It's got to be a big diamond so that you're really broke because small diamonds don't get it. And, And it doesn't make any sense, right? But that's what we do. And ladies, The reality is you're going to take pictures and put them on Facebook and keep your ring finger up to anybody that's around you just to make all your single friends jealous because your boyfriend proposed and their boyfriend has it. And so that's like a three, four, five week kind of thing. And and then the wedding plans start. And not only are you all now flat broke, but your parents are flat broke because you chose to be a bridezilla, right? You chose to have everything the best it could possibly be, and, and nothing else is going to work for you. And, and so now your parents are broke, and you're broke, and then the wedding comes. And I know a lot of guys today are buying their own suits, but there's still some tuxes out there being used. And guys, when you run a tux, you're stuffing yourself into a, a thing that you've never been in before, and you don't have any idea how to use some of the things that go with tuxes, like cufflinks and cummerbunds and bow ties, and and you're trying to figure all that out. And ladies, you spend three days making yourself into a goddess for three hours. And listen, the truth is, you're probably never going to look like that again because you're never going to spend three days trying to get yourself to look like that because it's way too much work, right? Not trying to offend anybody, just the truth. And the bride, I don't know why you all do this, but here's how it works. You pick out the most hideous bridesmaid's dresses possible. I think it's to make yourself look prettier. I think that's what it is right? All the bridesmaids are in these ugly dresses, and it's just true. And then there's the mushy love songs sung by Cousin Eddie, who has no business 
with a microphone, but because he's your cousin, he's singing, and you have the vows and the ring and the kiss, and you are expecting this thing to last forever. That's what you're expecting. But pretty soon the wedding's over. Pretty soon you're married. Pretty soon you're sitting in a small apartment with some old nasty furniture eating two-day-old takeout Chinese food. And you start to wonder, what's happening? Is this what I signed up for? Is this what it's supposed to be like? Am I going to be happy? Is this marriage going to work? What's the future look like? And again, I know that for some of us today, it's a harsh reality, and you're living with some dashed dreams, and, and just talking about marriage brings up this knot in the pit of your stomach, right? The truth is about 60% of people that get married this year will get divorced. 60%. There'll be over 2 million divorces this year alone. The average length of a marriage, know what it is? 7.2 years. And some of you, no matter how long you've been married, are feeling like you're on the point too. Because things are tough. And you're feeling like it's coming to the end and you're not sure you can make it much longer and your worries are becoming realities because you're allowing them to do that. Let's take some time. Let's just go back to the beginning. Let's look at the wedding vows. Almost, I've done hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of weddings. And almost all of them have the same basic components to the wedding vows. Ready? Here it is. Do you blank take blank to be your lawful blank? All right? Do you, Mike, take, I don't know, Shannon to be your lawful wedded wife? Yes or no? I guess. I mean, you know, you get to that moment in, in, the, in the ceremony. Here's what Scott Peck says. He says, romance is a temporary state of insanity, so powerful that it overrules our sober judgment just long enough to get us to the marriage altar. Whew. Is that true or what? You know, it, it, it is, because you don't realize what you're getting into until you get into it. You don't realize how difficult it's going to be because marriage is work, and it's great, but it's work, and you don't realize that. He goes on to say this, when we squarely look at the reality of marriage, we are faced with the sober truth that what we're going to try to do is this, take two deeply flawed individuals and put them together in hopes of producing one bliss-filled, problem-free relationship. Does anybody have a bliss-filled, problem-free relationship? No. Why? Because we're deeply flawed individuals. That's why. That's who we are. The reality is, when I said, I, Scott, take you, Joellen, I was saying, I, Scott, a deeply flawed, messed up individual, take you, Joellen, a deeply flawed, messed up, although very beautiful, individual, <laughs> to be my wife. That, that's what it is. Do you take you to be your husband? Do you, Megan, take Lance to be your husband? Do you, Lance, take Megan to be your husband? No, that doesn't work. It's your wife. 
Do you? Do you take them? It's a challenging question, isn't it? Because we're both deeply flawed, messed up individuals. Now, we're flawed from our upbringings. Did it take you very long from the time that you married your spouse to figure out that their family is messed up? You knew it before. If you knew it before and you still chose to marry them, that's on you. All right? It's just just true. There's a lot of issues out there in our families. There's a lot of things that we grew up with that we didn't realize were going to affect our marriage and make it difficult for us in our marriage that we have to deal with. As great as my parents were, and they were fantastic, there are all kinds of issues that I bring into this marriage that come from them. You do realize you become your parents, right? Charlie sang a great song last week for Father's Day by Keith Urban, how he was becoming more and more like his dad, even though he didn't want to or didn't realize it. That's what happens. I was talking to my sister, and she said, that's exactly what dad would have said. And it's like, I didn't mean for that to happen. When I was younger, I didn't want that to happen. But I'm kind of proud that some of that happens these days. Because you become your parents, but you also bring their issues into your relationships. You know, we, we pick up and model their good traits and bad traits. Maybe it's in the way that you argue with each other. If you're married, do you argue? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if he were only different, I wouldn't argue with him. If he only did what I said, there would be no, no issues in this, right? We all argue. Every single one. Sometimes they're loud arguments. Sometimes they're small arguments. Sometimes they're little comments. But we all argue. But when you look at how you argue, right, we, we take on one of our parents as kind of models. Um, <laughs> my dad was a shutdown kind of arguer. In other words, he would just kind of go deep inside of himself. He was very stoic. He'd go deep inside. He just wouldn't talk. That's just how he was. You know, my mom, my mom was always talking. All right. She, she could sell you anything. That's who she was. And she was always talking. And if there was an issue, she wanted to talk. She wanted to talk now. She wanted to get it figured out. And she wanted to move on. That was my mother. And that was not my father. And that caused conflicts. Now, for me, I take on a little bit more of my mother's traits. My wife may not say this, but I tend to want to talk. I want to figure out what's going on, and I want to know why it happened or what happened, and we want to move on. And my wife picked up more of her dad's traits, right? Now, her dad was a person that would hear an argument, and he would just not talk. And maybe two or three weeks later, after he had thought about it, because he was a deep thinker, then he'd be ready to talk. That's my wife. You know, she picked up his traits. She doesn't want to talk now. She wants to think about it. She wants to wait. She wants to make sure she analyzes it. And I want to talk now. And it causes conflict in the marriage. Why? Because we picked up those baggage and those, those roles from our parents that affect the marriage. We also bring sin baggage into our marriages. 
It's that gravitational pull to do something that's not constructive, that's not good, but we do it anyway. You know, it, it, it's, I'll talk to people that have done some things to destroy their marriages and say, if you knew this was going to devastate your marriage, why did you go ahead and do it anyway? And everybody says the same thing. I don't know. I was just kind of drawn to that, just something inside of me. When you, Joe, take Karen, those are two deeply flawed people coming together to try to make a perfect relationship, right? Now, some of you are thinking, I'm doing that. I'm, I'm taking responsibility for my part of the marriage. I'm, I'm trying to become a better person, but my spouse just isn't. Maybe you have a spouse that says, I don't have any issues. It's all about you, and they're all your issues, and that attitude is destroying you. That happens all the time. Here's the reality. We are all deeply flawed. We all have issues. We all have challenges. And maybe in your marriage right now, what you need to do is you need to cut each other a little bit of slack. Because you're not perfect and they're not perfect. Cut each other some slack and see where you can come together. We're imperfect people. Now, let's keep going in this marriage vow. To have and to hold from this day forward. Genesis 2.24 says this, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. To have and to hold from this day forward. No matter what. It's a commitment Mike Royko, I've read this before, but it's so good. He talked about one of his friends who was falling in love with a woman, and they decided to go to a seaside resort and stay for a weekend. And he told Royko, he said, if things click, I'm going to ask her to marry me. <laughs> Think about that for a minute. Royko told him, that's dumb. Don't take her to a seaside resort to see if it clicks. Of course it's going to click. It's a seaside resort. You've got water and sun and the excitement of being on vacation. He said, if you want to see if it clicks, take, it, take her to the supermarket. And when you're unloading the carts, see if she handles the heavy bags or if she makes you handle the heavy bags. If you want to see if it clicks, I love this one, borrow several whiny children with runny noses <laughs> that have a tendency for car sickness and drive them on a windy country road, turn off the air conditioning and act like it's broken, and see how she responds to that. If you want to see if it clicks, tell her you're going to play a fast game of softball. Then don't come home until 2 a.m. with about 12 of your buddies and sit around the kitchen table and tell her to whip up some sandwiches for you and see if she appears visibly happy to be your hostess. If you want to see if it clicks, get a bad cold and sit around on the couch watching ball games all weekend, coughing and sneezing and wheezing and complaining about how miserable you are and ask her to bring you some aspirin and soup and orange juice and then ask her to change the remote buttons because you're too sick to push them yourself and see if she's excited for the opportunity to nurse you. Friends, it's a commitment and the Bible only knows one kind of commitment when it comes to marriage. And that is a radical, 
faithful through thick and thin, lifelong commitment. As a matter of fact, the Bible talks about marriage like Christ's commitment to the church, and it's a commitment that is absolute. There's no more comparing. There's no more going, oh, she's a lot prettier than my wife is, or she can cook better than my wife can cook, or she's better than my, or he's so much more handsome than my husband. He still has a full head of hair. I mean, he's, you know, whatever it might be for you that is in your comparison mode, there's no more comparing. None. There's no more developing relationships, intimate relationships with people of the opposite sex because it only leads to issues. When you're married, you have entered in to a committed relationship for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish. I love the book whose author was from Miami University called Men Are Like Waffles and Women Are Like Spaghetti because it really does illustrate the differences that husbands and wives have in our worries about whether we're going to make it. Spaghetti is this. Women, you tend to have everything running together. All right, your, your spaghetti noodle runs into other spaghetti noodles and you guys are all intertwined and your, your friendship's kind of all intertwined. A waffle, a man is like a box with little boxes all around you. It's good, that's what they say. A man has a job box, a wife box, a kid box, a church box, and you think about it, garages are boxes, right? Basements are boxes. A computer is a box. The TV is a box. Everything is about boxes. Now, don't miss this. Guys are only in one box at a time. They tend to focus like that. Women are never in a box. Everything tends to flow together and overlap and run together. You know, again, guys are only in one box at a time. Tim Harlow said this, guys think about one thing at a time. That's why they can read a map. Ouch. Tell that to Siri because she's a girl and she tells me how to get everywhere. I I don't know. But he says, this is why. Because they aren't trying to read a map and wonder if these pants make my butt look big. That's what Tim Harlow says, all right? He gives a woman's entry from a diary, and I've read this before too, and I love it. It's a little bit long, but it's a woman's entry from a diary and a man's entry from the same diary. Listen to this. She says, I thought my husband was acting weird. We had made plans to meet at a nice restaurant for dinner. I was shopping with friends all day long, so I thought he was upset that I was a little bit late, but he made no comment on it. Conversation wasn't flowing, so I suggested we go somewhere quiet so we could talk. And he agreed but didn't say much. I asked him what was wrong. He said nothing. I asked him if it was my fault. He was upset. He said he wasn't upset, had nothing to do with me and not to worry about it. Now, on the way home, I told him that I loved him. He smiled slightly and kept driving. I can't explain his behavior. I don't know why he didn't say I love you too. And when we got home, I felt as if I had lost him completely, as if he wanted nothing to do with me anymore. He just sat there and watched TV. He continued to seem distant and absent. And I went to bed, and about 15 minutes later, he came to bed. I was surprised. He responded to my touch, and we made love. But I felt he was still distracted, and he fell asleep, and I cried. I don't know what to do. I'm almost sure his thoughts are with someone else. My life is a disaster. Now, here's the journal of the same event from the guy. Are you ready? 
boat wouldn't start. Can't figure it out. At least I got lucky. Now, if that wasn't so funny, it's so true, but it's so funny because that's the way it works, right? Doctor, I know you're laughing, but I don't want to laugh at that, but I'm laughing. It's the way guys work. Dr. Larry Crabb said, often the failure of men and women to meet each other's emotional needs is simply due to ignorance of each other's needs, not selfishness. So how do we meet those needs? Guys, she needs to be cherished. That's what you need to figure out. Ephesians 5.33, what's clearest to me is the way Christ treats the church. And he provides a good picture of how each husband is to treat his wife, loving himself and loving her, and how each wife is to honor her husband. Guys, she needs to know that in all of your relationships, she is the top priority. And when it comes down to it, if you have to choose between hanging out with your buddies or hanging out with her, that you will choose her every time. Does she feel that? Does she know that? How else do we cherish our wives? It's different for every woman because all of us are wired differently. Maybe it's just some little things. Maybe you bring her a little gift. Maybe you text her. Maybe you call her. Maybe you bring her a card. And guys, you're going like, why is that important? Because they want to be cherished. That's true with almost every woman that I know. They want to know that you love them. All right? Dads of daughters, how do you want their boyfriends or husbands treating them? Treat your wife the same way. Love, respect, letting them know that you love them. She needs to be known. That's the second thing. Has your wife ever said this, guys, you're not listening to me? Ever? For your future husbands and wives, remember this. Guys are listening. We just may choose not to communicate back with you, but we're listening to what you say. And our problem as guys is we're trying to solve your problems. We're not just listening. We want to do something. We want to take action. And the issue is she doesn't want you to solve her problems. She doesn't want, so I'm told, by the way, I don't, this is what I'm told. She doesn't need you to tell her how she should feel, even though you may be right on that. She just wants you to know her. She wants you to hear how she's feeling. She wants you to know what's happening in her life. What about for guys? Well, ladies, guys need to be admired. Ephesians 3 says this, each wife is to honor her husband. I love that. I love the book uh, that, that, that's called Love and Respect because it deals with the fact that guys need to be honored in relationships. He needs that respect from you, ladies. He needs to feel like you appreciate him. Like what he does is valuable, what he does is important, and you need to tell him that. He needs you to understand and validate him. Now, here's the, here's the difference, because women want validation as well, but here's the difference. Men derive their self-worth more from what they do. Women derive their self-worth more from who they are. There's a difference there. 
Andy Stanley says, the environment that we feel most competent in as men will capture our hearts in the majority of our time and the majority of our affection. That means if we feel competent at work, what are guys going to do? They're going to work more. If they get the affirmation there, that's what they're going to do. If we feel competent with our friends, what are we going to do? We're going to hang out more with our friends. If we feel competent at a hobby like golf or fishing or whatever it is, we're going to do that more. If we feel competent at home, then we'll be at home more. That's how we work. Here's the second thing, ladies, you need to focus on. He needs shared activity. Now, when you were dating your husbands, did you have any problem saying, I'd love to go to that football game with you? I'd love to watch that on TV with you. I'd love to go sit in the woods and hunt with you. Did you have any problem saying those kinds of things to your husbands when you were dating? No. What do you do now? Uh, you go ahead and go. I'm going to stay home. I've got stuff to do here. You go ahead. I, I, I don't need to. Ladies, he does want some shared activity time with you. He wants to hang out with you. And you're like, wait a minute. My husband doesn't want to sit down with me and talk with me, but he wants some activity time with me? You just solved all your marital issues right there. He doesn't want to communicate with you in that way. He wants to communicate with you through what you do together. It's a doer. Sometimes you just need to do things with him. My wife and I went through some really tough times. Been married 33 years. And one of the best things we did together was finding something that we could do together. It was really important for us. So we started working out together. We started training for mud races. Now, my wife spoke last week. Some of you were here. You saw her. She's incredibly beautiful. Uh, her hair is always done. Her makeup is always done. But one Saturday, about 10 of us were training, and we're running through the mud, weeds, junk. And we come to this creek, and we're running through part of the creek, and there was this, this part of the creek that was about five feet deep, and she is covered in mud. And she just head first into the five-foot deep water, swam to the other side, got out and started running up the hill. And I just stepped back and looked at her. And I went, now that's a woman right there. That's a connection point for me right there. That's, that's this incredible moment for me to say, you know what? This is something that we can do together. Guys, you need to know that your wives need to be cherished. They need to be known. Ladies, you need to know that your husbands need to be admired, and they need some shared activity time with you. And when you focus back on these wedding vows and choose to understand that marriage is two deeply flawed individuals coming together, and when you're willing to work and pray and forgive and cut each other some slack, then your marriage can be the best relationship of any relationships that you have on this earth. But you need to know those things and put them into practice. I'm telling you, Satan is waiting. I believe that with all my heart, to throw obstacles in your path. Other people, other things, other commitments. He's waiting there to take the focus off of your spouse 
and put it somewhere else. Now, let me just say this. If your spouse has died, I'm heartbroken for you because that makes life really difficult. If you're currently, you've been through a a battle and the divorce has happened for you and you're broken and hurt and, and, and life is just in one of these upheaval kind of moments, I'm heartbroken for you as well because it's not easy trying to put life back together. It just isn't. If your marriage is strong and healthy and good, guys, enjoy that. Make sure people see that. Make sure your kids see that because they need that in their lives. When you worry about what's broken and you're able to find ways to fix it or to mend it, do those things. Because if Satan can destroy the family, he can destroy everything else. So focus on what happens next for you and how God can get you through that next step. Will you pray with me right now? Father God, I just pray specifically for everybody in here, everybody watching online. God, may you take their marriages and allow them to understand that they're deeply flawed, each one of them, and God, that that you can be the glue that brings them together if we're simply open to understanding how flawed we are and how much we need each other. Thank you for loving us, and it's in Jesus' name, amen.